Welcome to the Dr. McGill Podcast. I could be more excited to have my good friend, Leighton Grant here, who is, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, is an elite fitness professional in the Long Island, New York City area. Uh, he has like probably the most vast background of any fitness professional that I've ever worked with. I mean, you work with high school athletes, some of the elite basketball programs in the area. You work with bodybuilders, you work with boxers, you work with uh, actors and actresses who are trying to get fit for their roles on film. Um, you work with middle-aged doctors who are <laughs> trying to get into good shape. Um, and, uh, you know, you're an amazing trainer. Um, and I think one of the things Thank that you. you really specialize in, which is a lot different for me than other professionals I've worked with, which is your attention to recovery. Because I feel like I'm pushing more weight than I've ever pushed in my life, and I've never felt better um, yeah. just because of the attention that you pay to that. So that's, that, I think, is a special you know gift that, that, that you bring yeah. to the table. Um, but more than all like the great accolades and you know the stuff that you do you know on the gym floor is I mean you're a beautiful human and you know kind of have this sort of real zen like mellow personality and I think a lot of that comes from the hardship that you've had in your life and all the stuff that you've really gone through which I think it's so brave that you're you're you know you're willing to talk about those things because there's so many people that are affected by, you know, issues, mental health issues that really stifle them. And sometimes there's, you know, when you're in that, you don't see a way out. There's no light. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to touch on all that stuff because sure. I know that's that's a big part of your story. That's a story, a part of your story that really resonates with me and like, you know, the, 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 the you know, and how beautiful of a person you are. So thank you. Welcome man. to the podcast, man. And I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation. Wow. That's that's an intro right there. I appreciate you, Doc. I appreciate you a lot, man. Um, no, it's, it's a blessing to be here, man. It's a blessing to be here, chop it up, talk about different, you know, subjects. But yes, that's, um, that's part of the, 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 the fitness world is that it correlates so much to how you live your personal life, you know, and it brings a realm of discipline. It bring, brings a realm of focus. Um, so, you know, I enjoy it. The process is everything. And the process never stops. Like, we never stop growing. We never stop evolving. The moment you put on a little bit of muscle, you still got to add more, you know, to maintain it. So um, this has been a good journey, man. I'm, I'm glad we, we got hooked up through Ra, Ra and um, yeah. it's been a blessing, man. It's been a true blessing to work with you, actually, because your work ethic, um, I observe it from, from the outside looking in. I look at every client. I look at what they do, how they're motivated, and you took things to another level as well in your life. You know, watching, you could have stuck to dermatology, um, having just the title doctor in front of your name is, is huge. And for you to take the time out to want to inspire people and um, watching Gary Vee and doing all those things and then taking it upon yourself to invest, to invest into you and then to invest into, uh, you know, the different forums and platforms, that's a huge deal too. You know, you're impacting so many lives in a matter of seconds, you know, through all these posts, which I, you know, I try to keep up with because you don't, you don't play, you post. <laughs> yeah, man, that's it, every day. So I appreciate you having me here, man. It's, hey, I appreciate it's a big it, deal. It's a love fest. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things I like to do, Lay, is I like to take it way back. Yeah. And, you know, but you and I both have similar roots. Uh, we both Definitely. were born in Brooklyn. Well, you were yeah. born in Brooklyn, right? I was born in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. you were raised there. So yeah. I like to kind of just take it way back, you know, just to kind of get a sense of what, you know, the sort of the early uh, influences in your life and kind of like yeah. what your upbringing was like. Yeah. Because you know the 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 person that we all are now is in very much very much is affected by you know all of the experiences that we've had coming up. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about. I knew you were you were kind of in a rougher neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, if you, um, kinda... you know what? Uh, 
a lot of a lot of the foundation was built around my parents, you know, who uh, both of them came from Jamaica and coming to uh, New York. They both met in New York and in, in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, the environment was was rough at times. The streets were a little rough at times. Um, Where in Brooklyn were you like? I was in the East Flatbush area. Okay. I grew up in South City. So yeah. So, yeah. Oh, there you go. So East Flatbush, you know, you, you had um, a, just a different mix of different cultures and um, it was just a, a different time. I think a lot, a lot of things that were going down at that time was, you know, different gang activity and different, um, just a different kind of structure, you know, um, a mix of the cultures. I think the biggest foundation, though, was my parents, you know, if you, if you really think about it. Yes, it was a rough environment outside, but inside, I think my parents handed down so much um, gifts as far as from the spiritual world. You know what I mean? They're both religious. Both, uh, my, both, yeah. both, my, both my parents are pastors uh, in the church. Um, so, you know, it, it went beyond that title because I watched the way they just treated people. And they were cool, you know, like they were just really cool, giving people. Had a foundation of spirituality. Um they were just, you know, loving, you know, so the, the environment that we grew up in, um, my, my two older brothers and myself, it was it was a good foundation inside the house. When you went when you went outside, it was different. There were challenges. There were, um, you know, different territories could could bring on different problems growing up. Um, and it was every man for himself. It's survival of the fittest in, in the streets. You know what I mean? So um, I remember seeing like, you know, the, the latest the latest sneakers. I was talking about this with my homegirl Garnett. She opened up a shop in Brooklyn, and you know we would we were just reminiscing how it's, Brooklyn is different now. Back then, you know I witnessed someone's sneakers getting robbed. You know what I'm saying? Like I witnessed a lot of stuff like that, and um, you know that was just the environment. But no matter what, you know you, you just kind of still had a sense of family around your your neighborhood, the boys that you grow up with, you know all the friendships that you make, the bonds that you make. It it was still uh, it was still a sense of family, you know, like a small village. You know what I mean? Are you so tight? With the, so yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I go back around the way and see dudes that I went to. It's crazy, I, you know. I was I was around the way recently and had a uh, significant loss in in our circle because a family member, pretty much. I, I grew up with this dude. His name was Anil. They called him Micro. He was a big time DJ, and um, he was one of my closest friends from the age of five years old. So. Even going back around and celebrating his life, you know, I'm still seeing dudes that we still still connect, whether it be through social media or texting each other. And um, there's a core group of people that they're just family. Every event, they're there, you know. So, yeah, we still keep in contact. You know, it's still a family thing. That's funny. My, my closest friends are actually the guys I grew up with also, like from the neighborhood. Like, we, you know, we moved to the south shore of Nassau County. Yeah. But those are like my, you know, they're basically like family. You yeah. Know, those guys, yeah. Are, we've known each other forever. You know? Yeah. It's a big and that deal. bond is really that's a that's probably one of the strongest bonds, you know, especially with like guys. I feel like are really tight with their childhood friends a lot of the time. Huge, you know? and I, I have a split though because at a certain point, our family moved out of Brooklyn into Elmont, so I had like two homes really. Like my Elmont family is still my family too. So I had the Brooklyn side, then I had Elmont side where the friendships I made in Elmont were, were a big deal. I finished my last two years of high school at Elmont. Gotcha. So, yeah, it, you know, you make those connections, they never stop. Never so stop. I know you're just from from knowing you, yeah. um, your parents came from Jamaica, but your mom is in, of Indian descent and my your dad is black. Is, yes. 
And when you were in, I mean, Elmont is a very ethnically diverse neighborhood, also. Yeah. Uh, but what were, what was what was the demographic like? You know, in Brooklyn and Elmont. Oh man, I mean, so Brooklyn was predominantly black. You know, you had a, a huge black and Latin community. Um, it was it was a totally different culture. When I came to Elmont, like Brooklyn, I went to South Shore High School. So when I went to South Shore, we we went through metal detectors every day um, to get into school. It was it was. Uh, they they had to like really pull everybody together from different neighborhoods, and that's where it brought a lot of issues. So South Shore was was rough. When I got transferred out, went to Elmont, you know, I had my guard up. Like, where's the metal detector right. at? Right? Like, and then I noticed like I'm in the hallways and someone you know is waving at me and I don't know them. So I'm like, it was like a culture shock. Like everybody was nice. And why you said hi to me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so now what happens now is. My grade that I came in was the most diverse grade that we had. We had every culture from um, Indians of the Malayalam descent, um, Pakistan, people from Egypt. Like, like it was everything. Like our grade was really like diverse. So it was a different type of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You know, Elmont just kind of reminds me. I mean, it's kind of still like this, I think. It's, it's sort of like those very multicultural communities in Queens. Yeah. Like Jackson Heights, or you know, where it's like a real melting pot. You yeah, know? I mean, there's like literally every culture is represented. Right, right. And I think Elmont's still very much like that because I have some patience for Elmont, but you know, everyone is like different. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's which is it's cool. mixed up. It's mixed up for sure, big time. So, were you like a high school athlete? Yeah, uh, in high school, I played. Um, well, actually, in Brooklyn, no. In Brooklyn, I was just playing street ball mm -hmm. a lot. When I got to Elmont, that's when I really started, you know, getting into more athletic things. So I played soccer. I played basketball. I ran a little bit of track. Um, and I was into the athletic stuff. You know, it was, it was always fun. Did you have skills as a soccer player or did you just pick it up? From nah, you know what? Growing up in a Jamaican household, like my pops, when we were young, he would take us to the park. And gotcha. like, it was big. It was a big part of the culture. You're listening right. to a lot of Bob Marley and then you just go play soccer. Like right. that was what it was. So my pops was big on it. I actually spent three years in Florida with my grandparents. Okay. And when I was out there, they had like a lot of summer leagues and uh, the athletic world out there is totally different to Brooklyn. So those three years I played soccer. Uh, when I came back to Brooklyn, it was just, you know, just on the street, chilling. Just, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't much that we were doing. But then moving to Elmont was like, all right, I'm going to pick up some sports. You know, I'm going to get back into this. And, um, yeah, I made some good friendships, good bonds. Had some best friends that stemmed from the soccer team that I'm still cool with today. Um, so, yeah, soccer and basketball were my favorite. Gotcha. Two favorite sports. And then you went to St. John's. Yeah, I went to St. John's for a year and I had a good time there. But then, uh, you know, my life just completely changed. You know, in Elmont, when I, when we graduated, um, I was voted like friendliest. You know, I was very, I was always a spiritual guy. You know, I was always, I wasn't trying to be, you know, a thug on the street. I wasn't trying to be something I wasn't, you know. I was just, um, I was just who I was. And a lot of my, you know, from my older brothers, um, they ran with a lot of dudes, you know. They ran with the hardcore crew. And my older brothers were very protective. Like, they, they could see, like, you know, you're on a different path. You know, you, you got other stuff to do. So every time they were with, with the crew or whatever, it was like, nah, 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 get out, go. You know, you can't, can't be here. And it was a very protective thing. And I feel like we go through so many things in life, we don't realize that the path is already chosen. You know what I'm saying? Every experience, whether you felt like you weren't fitting in. Because at that time, I'm like, I want to hang with y'all. Right. But, you know, um, 
having uh, older brothers in, in, in their world doing their thing and then being separate, it was, it was a different vibe, a different movement. So, um, you know, from Elmont to playing sports to doing what I'm doing now, you just kind of like find your path. You know what I'm saying? Just find like, you know, your reason as to, you know, what is my purpose? Right, your why. And I had yeah. to, yeah, I had to ask that a lot of times um, when I thought of situations that I was going through um, in St. John's, after St. John's, my path changed, you know, from being in Elmont, being a pretty cool guy, you know, to literally being diagnosed with a chemical imbalance. So what happened? Just like, you know, so, in your, like, like, literally what happened? It was just like, you know. So I, I went to Florida. Um, it was the summer. Uh, I just finished school, and my grandmother was sick. So it's between your, you finish your freshman year at St. John's. I finished John's. my freshman okay. year at St. John's, and my, my grandmother was sick, and my dad was like, you know, um, you know, your grandmother needs some help. And I was like, I'll, I'll head down there. And I stayed down there, and um, I was down there for about two months. And when I when I visited, I took care of her. I was doing my thing, you know. And I came back from Florida really, really out of it. Like, my body just became very hyper. Like, um, you didn't feel that when you were in Florida? I didn't feel the symptoms too heavily um, until... This is this is the weird part of, of what I'm saying. It, it's tough because there's so many like technical things to it. But I'm, I just remember there was a woman and she was she knew of my family. She knew of my, my, my pops and his brothers. We you know, they had a reputation. And, um, you know, she really liked me for a daughter. You know, she really you know, she was like, it'd be cool if you dated my daughter. Would be, you know, and she was coming around the, the nursing home a lot. And the church community community out there was very small. Um so everybody knows everybody. And I just remember, like, you know, she was really investing time, like, being around. And my grandfather just wasn't fond of the whole situation, you know. But me, I was naive. You know, I'm 17, 18 years old, 18 years old at the time. And I'm just like, what's his deal, you know? Like, why is he judging her or whatever? And I just remember, like, going to the house. I played ball with her son. And they had made some food. And I ate the food. And I remember just my body just went into, like, a little bit of, like, a hyper mode. But that's all, like, hypothetical. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can't say that that's, you know, something that triggered me. I just know that when I left Florida and came back to New York, my body felt hyper. It's like what you just had. Like, what do you mean? Just were you like say, frenetic? Like you, yeah, like, I, I couldn't sleep. My behavior became so hyper. Like, my friends were like, bro, like, you got to slow down. And I just, you know, it seemed like, at the time, inside looking out, I couldn't really feel what was wrong. I just felt like, let's say, if I describe my emotions, they were on a high, like a nonstop. You like, know. were you up for days? Absolutely. I was up for, like, so long of a period that I, I think it was just, like, I couldn't, I couldn't slow down. Hyper, extra hyper. And my parents noticed the behavior changes and... My brothers noticed it, and then my facial expressions were changing, and I, I was getting serious, then I was getting aggressive, then I was, man, I had some seriously embarrassing moments because my friends that, that I graduated with from Elmont, some of the girls, I was, you know, aggressively coming at them, you know, like making advances, and, you know, it was, um, I couldn't see it at the time. I remember also visiting a friend. Uh, she was a, another senior in my class. She 
was diagnosed with cancer. So they were going to take a trip, my friends, you know, take a trip to the city. And I had my, my boy's car. His mom was away. He was like, nah, you could borrow it, whatever. So I took like four friends with me. Doc, when I say I was gunning that whip, like I was gunning it, like driving so fast. And my friends were like, what are you doing? Like they had to take the wheel on the way back from visiting um, the hospital. When we got to the hospital, that was the first time I actually started seeing, like, I had, like, hallucinations. Wow. And that that day was, like, scary because, like, a, someone's face would be distorted. Like, it was, it was, like, the scariest thing. Like, someone's face would be distorted or um, you're seeing people's faces or movements that aren't happening. And then from there, days on end, like my food, I would look at my food and my food would be moving. Wow. It was it was like living in a totally different world. So like, you remember it, though? Like I remember a lot. Wow. I remember a lot. I had another incident where my boy picked me up because my mom was concerned. So when my boys from high school would come through and check on me or be like, yo, let's go out, let's do something. So did you not go back to school at that point? Like I couldn't. Yeah. No, I couldn't. Wow. I couldn't go back. Um, so I had quite a few episodes. Um at Hofstra University, I was with my boy playing ball. And then again, I started having these hallucinations. I'm seeing things that aren't real. And I don't know what type of disturbance I caused. I don't remember um, to people that were around me because I was literally in another world. They probably thought you were drugs or something. Right. Realizing. Yeah. So the cops had to come. And literally, uh, they cuffed me up. My, my family came. And my father was just like, he hasn't been himself. Get the cuffs off of him. And by that time, I just blacked out. Wow. And um, they had the uh, ambulance came, picked me up, ended up in the hospital. And um, literally, I was in like an outer body experience. My family came. Wow. I was just laying there like out for a while. I mean, they drugged you up and just not. hundred percent. Once I came once I came back to um, fruition that that night, they they that's when they started tranquilizers. So and that was it. Um, my family was like, we got to admit him into the, the mental institute. Wow. Because there was nothing left. So were there periods like before that major breakdown where Mm -hmm. you were just like lucid and normal? Like, you know, I had moments, but I did some some really unexplainable things. Like we had a pool in the backyard. I would throw on my trunks. Right. And just literally (laughs) dive into the pool for one like one get in, get out and literally go back inside. I would shower five times a day like. Wow. It was a lot of different symptoms that were just unexplainable, erratic behavior, um, chemical imbalance, yeah. man. Yeah. So then you're you're hospitalized. Hospitalized. Yeah. You know, I, I imagine it was probably a prolonged hospital stay. It wasn't like yeah. I was I was legit in the institute. I remember having um, so many different emotions. Uh, I was I was afraid. Um, the environment was like different to me. Yeah. Um, I'm still seeing things. I'm still having hallucinations. So, are they just basically because I when I did my psych rotations, I've worked or I've done like consults on like yeah, psychiatric ward. I mean, it's it's a, like a terrifying place. You know, like very like you know I've seen like you know when even when I was at Nassau County Medical Center for my psych rotation as a medical student. I mean, there was like violence that would happen like you yeah. know pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's scary. There's a lot yeah. of like you know, I had I had a lot of violent episodes. I remember um, if I saw something with my family. It could have been hallucination or a thought. I got aggressive. You know, they would call the whole staff in. You know, I'd back myself into a corner and just want to fight. You know, 
they would uh, tranquilize me. Right. So the repercussion for that is you get Haldol and yep. or whatever. It's yep. some kind of set. It, you know, mm-hmm. they just zonk you out. Yeah. And you're basically like a vegetable in the bed for a few hours. Well, check this out. Like it was to the point where they had to put me in a room. They put me in an isolated room, and I would show them like I was. I was so hyper that. I would do push-ups in the room, like I'm not calming down. Eventually, it kicked in. Yeah, you know, you start to like mellow out. Right. But um, I went through a, quite a few times of that, and yes, it was a scary experience. It was tough. Um, so I mean, how long? That. I mean, time doesn't mean anything at that point, right? Because no, I couldn't like even, no concept. I had no of concept it. of it. You know, I just finished a year in college, and then here I am being challenged um, by honestly losing the most important thing that we have as human beings i lost yeah. my mind you know like yeah. that's a huge deal to go through that and be a person that had it together was respected in two communities right um and loved I mean, like you know? literally voted the person most likely to succeed in uh, high school <laughs> right yeah, but i voted uh friendliest and most likely to be on the cover of right. gq magazine like right. you know my friends it, it was a lot of love in in my neighborhoods. It was a lot of love from my family. So, and this is, I'm a person that was always spiritual. I was always like, I wasn't even during that time. Would you pray? That's the crazy part. Like, um, I had my Bible with me and my mother was like, she would say to me, son, no matter how bad things got with you mentally, you would not lose your faith. And a lot of people don't know that about me from the age of 12 to 19. I was fasting. I was praying. I, I had a, a very serious um, relationship with God. Like my spirituality was everything, not religion, you know, not doing customary things, just really being into my spirituality. And I think that when you commit to any form of discipline, you have engaged in accepting tests and obstacles. So a lot of times I post that in my posts, I'll say, you know, you have purpose, but it's going to come with obstacles and tests because the more I desired more spirituality, it it made it gave me a, a deep um, want to help people. I was like that in high school. You know, my friends knew I was like that. Like, a lot of things that could have escalated, I was talking them out of it. A lot of people that may have needed to talk to somebody, I was talking to them. Like, my friend in, in, in St. John's, he he went to high school with me, and he, he took me to, um he would pick me up for school. And he was going through a little something himself at the time, like a, like a little bit of a depression. And I remember talking to him every day. He would stop by after school and um, he would just talk to me about what he was going through. And I just um, I brought him to church with me. I was like, listen, man, you need to get some some type of spirituality, you know, like you need to like connect, man, because you can be happier than this. And, you know, he came to church. He felt better. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that next year he was racing. He was racing his, his car, and he died in a car accident. So oh. I think that us having that connection before he left the earth was a big deal for me. Us having that that time where he was able to go to church, he was able to, you know, commit himself to a higher calling. He changed his life around, you know, like he wasn't as depressed, and that was a blessing. But my life from the age of 12 to 19 was always on some spiritual tip, like dudes on the street would tell you like I'd be handing them Bibles like I don't care I don't care what stuff you're doing on the street this is this is where you're gonna have to take that turn and they knew I was like that and they still everyone accepted me so I think that going through um would you guys go to church every Sunday like was that yeah we went to church every Sunday you know it was um it was part of like our family life you know my parents were very big on it um 
So going back to that time, like when you were hospitalized, yeah, like in the times, I mean, obviously you're so zonked out on, on like you know meds. antipsychotics <laughs> and all the meds that they have you yeah. on, like you know, I mean, you're literally like a vegetable probably for like twenty out of twenty four hours of the day, hundred percent. Um, when like you come become more lucid, are you like praying to God, like you know, like what like what is if you can even remember? No, I can. Um, you're more so. I mean, is there any times where it's like you're trying to rationalize, like, what the, where am I, what is going on here? You know what? No, I just knew that I was going through something that, that is a test, you know, and, and in my head, it was hard. It was difficult. It was a lot of tears cried, man. I was, it was painful to go through what I went through. Um, and there Out were of nowhere. So, you know. Yes. There were times of comfort where I f- could feel um, the presence of God. I could feel like everything's going to be okay. But you can't say you want to help people and not go through something. You can't go through what I went through. What I went through was for a purpose or else I wouldn't be here, to be honest with you. Um, when you go through something like that, it, it forces you into a place of not wanting to be on this earth. And I, I connected with that for years. I was like, there's no purpose of me being here. Of course, I looked at God and said, why? Like, Were you suicidal at all? hundred percent, yeah. Like, I did not want to be here. I, I did not. I couldn't see why, at that time, why someone like myself is going through this. You know, I, I asked, I remember the last fast that I did was 21 days, Doc, on water. And the, the number one prayer I had was this connection that I have to you, God, I want people to know what this feels like. I don't want to walk around preaching to people. That's not what I want to do. I want to live a life that exemplifies what you have instilled in me. Because that's what I felt. Like, I felt like... When was this? When was this? This was, this was my last year of high school. Okay, so this was before. Yeah. yeah. I remember it's so crazy how life has these weird signs at times. Cause I remember like the movie soul food was out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I remember being on a 21 day fast every time for me, I was on water only. And every time I saw food, I was like, mom, you got to make this for me. You got to mm-hmm. make that for me. And the movie soul food was so crazy because I'd watch it all the time <laughs> just That's because funny. of the food. And it's crazy because my mother at that time said to me, she said, son, you know, you're going to end up doing some really special things with some special people. And uh, I'm the youngest of three brothers. And she said, you know, you're the strongest out of your brothers. And I'm looking at her like, mom, my brothers are some OGs. Like, she's like, son, you're going to get what I'm saying down the road. And it's funny because the movie Soul Food, you you had Big Mama and you had Big Mama going through diabetes, and it's weird how that movie at that time wow. and that fast, and then my mom ended up passing from you know diabetes and heart diabetes, and right. amputation. It was it's crazy how some signs you never lose the the essence of it. You know what I mean? But um, no, I went I went on that fast, and that was my senior year in high school. And right after that, I went down to take care of my grandmother, and then after that, I was I was diagnosed with what they call psychosis NOS, which means that I had so many symptoms that uh, they couldn't diagnose me with one. So the list was... Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, hallucinations. Manic. Obsessive compulsive disorder. 
bipolar, uh, you know, you name it. I had every symptom. So when I was in the Institute, I was going to five groups a day. You had one group where we washed our hands and showered like five times a day. Then you had another group with schizophrenia and we're talking about our symptoms. So it was, it was tough. It was difficult. So how long does this all go on for? Like how, how the symptoms part? I mean, like how long you were in the inst- like in the institution? I was in the institute. I was in the program for roughly I would say three years. So I I was in the institute for a matter of months, and then I okay. think after they did a lot of the yeah the medication and had me on a lot of different stuff and. I mean, you were probably on medication for years. I was on medication for roughly about three to four years. And then this brings you to like 23, 24. Yeah. And then then what happens? So after that, um, I noticed that the medication would, would sort of make me feel down. Like no matter what, I couldn't be myself. That's keeping you from being manic. And right. yeah. And then I, I also would listen to the doctors telling my parents, like he's going to be on medication forever. Like This is a forever thing. And I said to myself, no, no, like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be living like this on meds forever. I'm not doing that. And I, my mother was like, son, you got to keep taking these medications. And I was like, no, I'm done. And that, after that, I went through another series of tests because when you come off of medication, you have to get back to controlling your emotions because the medication is controlling your emotions for you. It's sort of like subduing you to mm-hmm. be sedated, calm. Right. Um, maybe not so you don't do anything erratic. And I, I can understand from a medical point of view because I've had some friends that were in the institute that did some things, you know. When they got out, they, they lost it. Did some things that were just it's tough. Um, so for me, when I, when I came off the medication, it was tough. I had fits of rage, like couldn't control my anger, couldn't control my emotions at times. Um, I literally broke both of my hands in one day. Yeah, I was uh, I was seeing my girlfriend at the time, and we were arguing on the phone. And I remember just like she was like saying something, and I remember just putting the phone down, and I was so angry that I just punched a metal pillar repeatedly, and I wouldn't stop. And at that wow. time, I wasn't a boxing instructor, or else I would have known how to punch properly. But I broke both sides. Oh crap! Of my hands. And you, just, how old are you? That like twenty four? About yeah, about that. About that. Maybe okay. a little, little, little younger. So point. when all this stuff is happening, like, you, is there a thought ever cross your mind? Is like, oh shit, I need to go back on medication. No. No. I I would rather face um. Getting, a level of discipline, rather than that feeling, because the meds didn't make me feel good. So how long did it take? How long did it take you to go through all that? I I went through that for roughly I would say about a two, two and a half year period where I was up and down, really up and down. And at that time, I would be working on myself continually. Like at one point, Doc, I I was reading a lot of self help books. Like that's all I did. Like Tony Robbins, like Tony that type of Robbins, stuff. The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. What do you say when you talk to yourself? You know, like I read as many books as I could on you know, the mind, you know, what could I do to develop myself? Cause I used to question like, God, how am I supposed to get back to society? Like I re- I literally remember praying for a job, you know, Lord, if you could give me a job that pays 25,000 a year at that time for me, that was a big deal. Cause I was on disability and I just wanted to work. And I eventually got a job that paid 27,000. You know, I worked at a place called Tootin' Hour and I just did um, 
customer service. Mm. But I didn't know how I was going to be able to get back to society. Toot now are like the sterilizing machines? Toot now are the sterilizing machines. Yeah, yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> in my New York City office. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. In Hot so, Pog or something like that. In right? Hot Pog. Yeah. yeah. That's where I worked. So um, I, I didn't know how I was going to be able to bring my world back together. I was afraid of how can I work somewhere and work out? I used to question those things. How can I um, go into more education? How can I do this? Like, Lord, how am I going to get all this done? And today to say that I run my own business, I've competed in one show already. I'm getting ready to compete again. Like to say that I'm doing all this stuff now, it, it boggles me because I remember wondering, how am I going to get a job? You know, like, so I've come a long way. And, I, you know, I feel like not choosing the easy road. The easy road would have been, let me get back to these meds. Mm-hmm. Let me do what they're telling me to do. Do you I'm, view them kind of as like drugs? Like, I mean, yeah, obviously medications are drugs, but yeah. do you view them as like a chemical dependency for yes. you? Not saying for everybody. Yes. I, I think that, um, I think I was forced to look at myself, right? After I've been through this, you know, traumatic experience and I'm, you know, going through the, all these highs and lows, I was so forced to look at myself and say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your mother can't make the decisions for you. Your father can't make the decisions for you. What are you going to do? And I, I chose fighting. Like, being spiritual, you have some kind of, you have something left in you that says, okay. do not give up. To lean on. Yeah. And, and I think that as a people, as a community, as a nation, I think we have lost so much of that. Where people are just really losing themselves because they're not connecting to themselves and the essence of who they are. Or something bigger. Or even, of course, something bigger. Because at the end of the day, when you don't know your purpose, you're on the wrong path. When you find your purpose, it gives you a sense of alignment. It gives you a sense of focus. It gives you a sense of discipline. But if you have no purpose, if you feel like you don't have a purpose, then you'll do whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I, I hope that what I went through... Um, resonates in communities that I've that I've come from where there is poverty where people feel like they don't have a purpose where they feel like they can't make it and there's a lot of stigma like with for the mental health issues a hundred percent a lot of people are sometimes it's so crazy because I was watching um I saw a post literally this morning with Charlemagne and a guy that was talking about mental health and you know he was talking about the black communities how in some in some cases a lot of black men don't want to speak because even for the the psychologist if you say something maybe that you did that was wrong they have to break client privilege and speak about it and get you caught up that person could lose their kids or i think there's a lot of stigma to it i think there's a lot of um a lot of people that they don't know how to talk about what they've been through or what's going on and i think sometimes doc i'll be honest with you instead of the meds maybe i need to learn how to express myself Maybe I need to learn how to talk about something that's wrong rather than, you know, holding it in. Of course. And I mean, so did, that's like therapy. Did you go to therapy? During I went to therapy. All this period? You went, you're, do you still go to therapy? No. No. I stopped after a while, um, you know, after I was outpatient mm-hmm. and then um, stopped the meds. So during the period you stopped your meds, yeah. like when you were having like the fits of rage, were you seeing a therapist? I still saw someone. Yeah. You did? Okay. And it helped. Yeah. Um, then after a while... 
<laughs> that was done, you know. And I remember being at a place where they had a book. It was an anonymous, you know, like you told your story. And um, it was called, like, I Have Schizophrenia. And I remember going back to the Institute and, you know, we we talked. And some of those people were still in there. And I remember going back and looking like, wow, you know, this is amazing that I came this far. You know, I'm part of a book called I Have Schizophrenia, but now here I am coming back to visit and hugging the doctors and, you know, telling them that, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. So it was a rocky road. It was so, a lot of ups and downs. So talk to me a little bit about how, like, fitness, like, fits into this. That, for me, like, just, like, listening to your story, like, and I, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. Like, a bodybuilding mentality, a bodybuilding lifestyle, which is what, you know, you, you were 32, you said, when you did that show, when I did right? my first show, yeah. It's like such a, it, it requires so much discipline. It's, it's almost like you live like a monk, you know, like yeah. you're amongst just like this small group of people yeah. that are living this like, uh, I mean, it's like an insanely disciplined life that's so far removed from what anyone in society that normally does, you yeah. know, yeah. and it's, you know, it's a really regimented, like a monk type lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Do you think... I, was that part of this process for you, or is that something entirely different? I think that um, fitness, it always will parallel what you um, should aspire to do on a daily basis with your mind, with your physical, and with your spiritual, which is daily upkeep. I think that me being in this profession as a fitness professional, it's my obligation to represent fitness at, at, at its highest level. But go back and to before you were a fitness professional. So yeah. before that, I started off, honestly, um, when I was in and out of the institute, right? Um, I, had got a, I got a job at a place called Z Fitness. And I just remember getting a job there and putting weights away. And I got paid $6.50 an hour. I made everybody shakes. I put the weights away. And in that environment, I saw a dude with a clipboard. And, and I was like, yo, what's the, what's the clipboard for? What are you doing? He was like, nah, I'm a trainer, man. You know, I'm like, how do you, how do you get certified? You know? and, and after that, I was intrigued. Fitness was always part of the makeup because I started working in gyms at an early age. You know, like within that time period, honestly, in and out, the institute or trying to get my first job that's where I started and I kept growing with it it kept evolving my sense of discipline was always there because right. as I said I fasted 21 right. days right. on water but once I got turned and turned on to the fitness world it's weird because the paths kind of like hit at the right time if you think about it right I'm talking about taking myself off of meds so where do I have an outlet I have these fits of rage Right? right? Okay, now let's put two and two together. If I get into the gym and work out, will I still have a fit of rage? Or will I feel calm after a workout? And I started getting into the fitness. I started working out. When I was asking, how can I do everything? It's because when I wanted to do something, I did it wholeheartedly. So fitness was like a big deal. Right. When I worked out, I didn't want to do anything else. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's totally, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about with the bodybuilding stuff. Yeah, it really that's it's a it's a singular singularly focused mindset. You yeah. know, like 
every meal is planned, every workout is planned, every calorie you consume is planned. Right. Every gram of whatever macronutrient you need to have is planned. Every yeah. ounce of water is planned. Right. It's like, you know, it's it, there's very few things that require that much discipline. Right. You know? And I think that the path to recovery for me was that type of mindset. Like what you just said about the macros and the fitness. I think that I was put into a realm of this is how you're going to recover your mind by reading this many self-help books. And this is how you're going to push your body by getting involved with fitness. Did I know that it would evolve to this where I am now? No. I have walked into the homes of some people that I'm like, what am I doing here? And they know my story. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like, this is crazy. Like, this, this is crazy. Right. You know, like, so... Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> you know, it's not that it's crazy. No, it's yeah. totally. It's obviously it's the reality. Right. But it's amazing sometimes, like the circumstances that you end up being in from where you've been. Right. For any of us, yeah. you know, it's like, wow. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously you've earned that. Like the the reason why you're in training, you know, those types of folks. Yeah. Is because they specifically want you to be there to train them. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a which is a wild thought. Yes, and I I think that in every area, like we like you've zoned in on bodybuilding, right? And you and you talked about the discipline. I think that in every area of fitness, I think that's what happened with me. Where when I first started at a place called Export, I just remember talking to God and saying, "I just want to be the best. I want to be the best." And I remember like one of my mentors, she was walking by me, and there were a bunch of other good trainers in the building. And I remember she walked by and she said, what are you doing with that client? And I was like, what? What do you think I should do? And she was like, that's your response? I was like, yeah. You know, she thought maybe I could get an attitude. I didn't have an attitude. I just said. But you were you know, literally like, what do you think I should yeah, do? Yeah. Right. What, like, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. She said, do this, teach this, me. this. Yeah. yeah. I said, teach me, you know, pretty much. And after I finished with that client, she said, come and see me when you're done. And from there, you know, I'm sitting there that year saying, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. And she had me come in and take her position where she worked for a company that had every realm of fitness at these conference centers. And I ended up taking her position of leadership. I became one of the uh, event leaders with my brother, of course. And for 10 years, all I did was sit back and learn from the best. You know what I'm saying? And I think that having that opportunity, again, it, it didn't just happen by chance. So I don't think any of my path Though some of it is very, very hard to for people to look at. I have not gone in depth in into into a lot of the stuff that I went through, um, from personal experiences to the relationships. My relationships suffered. You know, I, I can't I, I don't want to paint a picture like everything is all good now. You know, I had to I had to reset my life at forty years old. I'm not my brothers have settled down. I had a lot of catching up to do. Really, like a 10-year gap. Yeah, yeah. So I literally, while I I remember holidays being single but being depressed, you know, I remember um, going through the loneliest of times. And I think going through that is is important, was important for me because I had to still evaluate and build myself. I didn't give up, you know, like I didn't say, all right, I'm going to end this, you know, Um and I think that's a testament to encourage people. Like sometimes maybe you need to be single, 
Sometimes you need to work on yourself. Sometimes, you know, your your life may not go the way you planned it. I didn't plan to go through what I went through. I wanted to be married, 20 by 20 something. And, you know, in your, in your right, head, you, right. kids and this and that. Sometimes you can't write the script. It's written for you. You just got to play your part. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm playing my part. I'm going to play my part to the fullest. But I know who wrote it, though. You know? I know I, I don't judge people on their religion, their beliefs. But I know the God that I serve is real. Nobody can tell me otherwise because I applied the word. Then he tested me and said, is it true? And me being here today is a fact that it's true. You know what I'm saying? Totally, man. So my life at this point is just, you know, it's about influence. It's about going back to neighborhoods. It's about going and speaking to kids and letting them know you can express yourself. Letting them know you can love yourself. Letting them know you have a specific purpose. You know, everyone has one. Everyone has a different fingerprint. Everybody has a gift. My man here recording, he's got a gift with cameras. I could never do this stuff. He yeah. sets it up. He sets the sound he up. He can even make me look good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's the man. But I mean... Everyone has a special gift. What you choose to invest into it is on you. How much you're willing to go through is on you. Because you could say, I want this and I want that. But life is the first thing life will do is test you on it. Like if you're real, then you got to be tested. And I think in school, we go through that. We get tested. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do well, you get left back. The, the evidence of you getting left back in life as an adult is when you keep saying the same thing over and over. And you don't change your course of action. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's where I'm at now. Just constant growth, const, constant evolving, um, and wanting more. I'll never be satisfied. I'll never stop growing. So me doing my next bodybuilding show is a real um, test of being serious, focused, disciplined, like you said. And I choose that path because it's very influential. You know, it it will influence, I know for a fact it influences my clients because they're like, nah, I could do this too. And it influences people now on the social media platform because they'll see like, oh, wow, look at where you came from. Yeah, totally, man. So I think it's going to be cool to display that and, you know, just be about it, just act on it, not so much talk about it, but really act on it. Hey, man, when that's part, first thing about acting on anything is putting it out into the universe that that's Facts. what you're going to do, you know? So, Facts. You know, we're, that's what holds you accountable. True. You know? Very true. Um, well, I mean, listen, obviously you inspire me, Leighton. You know, I wouldn't have you Thank on here you. If, you, if you didn't. Thank and you, that's been a blessing for me, knowing you. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I think you've kind of answered this question, but one of the things I always like to ask everyone is how you personally define the word success. And, you know, you answered it in many ways, I think. But, you yeah. know, maybe if you could just sum it up and sure. close out this podcast with I what your you. definition of success is, man. Uh, I think the, the true definition of success is how much you can invest into yourself and then take what you've invested into yourself and be a blessing to others with that gift simply put I think that's where we just gotta end it man I love that <laughs> hey, like, thanks so much man for thank you doc. With us. I appreciate you thank you appreciate you right back thank you for listening to the Dr. Mungill podcast the corresponding video can be found on YouTube IGTV and Facebook let's get it